Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin is blooming in April, up 30% this month. And the chartmaster says there is something in the charts that has him pressing the buy button. Plus, Ooh. Disney on track for another blockbuster weekend with Marvel's latest Avengers movie. We'll tell you how it stacks up to Black Panther's blowout and what it could mean for the stock. But first, we start off with what we are calling... The what have you done for me lately market. Yes, despite a boomy economy, strong earnings, and even a Yankees winning streak, <laughs> the market has gone exactly nowhere since bank earnings were supposed to light the fire two weeks ago. So where is the rally? And if earnings are not the answer, what will take stocks higher from here? Guy. Why the Yankees winning streak? Can you even tell Name one guy in the Yankees. Quickly, Mel. Good job. Made my point, though. You should not be talking about the Yankees unless you know about the Yankees. But I Come digress. on, why don't you back off and talk about the market, I'm going to talk about yeah. the market here. I mean, so really. yesterday after the slew of earnings that we all saw, which were outstanding, I think we would somewhat agree on that, I would have said the market, Dow should have been up 250, if not 300 points on a Friday, given where the S&P is, and the Nasdaq should have been up more than 100. Neither happened. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. VIX was down 5%, flirting with 15 again. That, I think, is encouraging if you're bullish. And the 2580 level that Steve flagged months ago continues to hold. We tested it again, seemingly held, bounced. So that's good news for the bulls. But I'll say the earnings, which everybody thought would be the catalyst to take us to the next level, hasn't happened yet. That is alarming. And I think, the problem. I, th I think that what Guy just touched that's on, though, is, is probably my takeaway from, from the week, that it stopped the slide. So in a vacuum, if you didn't have earnings, the market, I think, would have been testing that 2585 level. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you see AMD popping off the low is 18 percent, Intel 10 percent, Facebook right. rallying. You had tech come back and sort of stabilize the market otherwise would have been down. Today's price action was uh, terrible in Amazon. I mean, take a look. It I, opened at the highs, closed Intel? pretty much at the lows. And the report last night had analysts gobsmacked, tripping over themselves to raise price targets I believe, by the way, we went back to guys', guys academic career and point out he's never had an A-plus. Never. Gene Munster gave Amazon an A-plus. So right. I think the price action is actually awful. Um, and I think I look to see what Intel did. And, and it's not that I don't think that I don't agree. I don't disagree with Steve that earnings were an important thing to distract the market from broader things, get it closer to fundamentals. But, you know. The technicians are in charge, and I actually think, you know, this downtrend is very much alive. Stocks could not get back above that. You draw a trend line down, Carter can do it, anyone can do it. Um, in fact, that's why I think it's so easy. You can clearly see that equities are falling under technical pressure. Beats are outperforming misses four to one in this earnings season. That's a little more than half over. So, look, Mr. Market is saying to investors, you know what, uh, it's not enough. Well, here's the other thing. You know, we've been talking about where's the revenue growth. We know there's been a lot of levers to kind of work on that EPS growth. We've seen crazy buybacks. We've seen these tax cuts cuts now, and, and obviously buyback levels have been at record levels. Um, but, you know, just in the, I think about 50% of the S&P 500 have reported um, earnings so far in this season. I think the year-over-year -year sales growth rate is 8.5%. 
6%, which is pretty amazing. It's the highest since 2011, and that's what a lot of people have been looking for. Yet, obviously, we have much higher growth rates as terms of EPS, but investors don't really care. So we talked about this a little bit last night. You know, Amazon was one of the first mega cap stocks to make a new high in March after the February sell-off. It obviously did it again. The Nasdaq is still down 7% from its all-time highs. It's still up 3% of the year, acting pretty decently on a relative basis. The S&P acts horrible. I mean, the S&P really acts horrible. It feels like it's a one-step forward, two steps back for the S&P. I think people wanted volatility. We all sat on this desk and said, where's volatility gone? And then volatility came back, and everyone is so shocked that there's no volume anymore. So no one wants to step in on these trades. So we sort of move sideways to lower, to Tim's point. But if tech can hold, and next week's a huge week. China large cap tech, U.S. envoy heading to China. Everyone sold off the market on trade tariffs. And now if that stabilizes, maybe it maybe spreads here. This it's week was here. a pretty big week. This was a big week. No, it was this a big week, a big but week. I think you have, if you think about it, next week, no one thinks that the Fed is going gonna, is gonna to move. 34% of the people think that the Fed is going to move. So you're probably safe on rates. Rates backed off a little bit there. Dollar sort of backed off a little bit on its increase. And if you have tariffs going to the back scene, I think you're okay. Well, so... I think the Fed next week is a huge deal. I actually think, again, people have 33%. Steve's right to point out that the market isn't really pricing in uh, a hike, although they're not pricing in, in any Fed speak that's at all hawkish. They're not expecting anything next week. That's the whole problem here. And again, this was the week where we had a lot of anxiety the first couple of days on the 10% on the 3% tenure. So um, I do think that the dollar is a big deal, and I actually think that the dollar picked up steam this week. I think if you start to see a little slowing around the world, the dollar is actually going to pick up steam, and that's going to be very difficult for stocks. So I have a question in terms of valuations here. Right now we're at around 14 and change forward P.E. We're down from, right, from something much higher, obviously, yeah. from market highs. Is the market, market telling us that this is where the market should be trading given the earnings picture? Interesting. So the valuation... Is this are, the proper valuation I, for the, the market? The valuation, to me, valuation is never the... You know, if you go back to 0809, I'm not suggesting we're at 0809, but that valuations were not the reason the market got crushed. So, mm-hmm. you know, to look at valuations and say the market is cheap, that might be true, but there might be other things going on. I happen to agree with Tim, by the way, in terms of the Fed, which surprised. you have to bring. <laughs> you I, although surprised. I don't agree you with agree? that shirt. I think we were tonight. surprised. You know, I, surprised. I, you know, I'm not you know really what? sure. Let's do this on another show. Out. I mean, we'll it causes some seizures enough. and small right, children. But I think, I think this point. Fed chair does not. He doesn't seem to care as much about market impact as Fed chairs over the, the last two Fed chairs. And I think the Fed, if you can have a Fed put, I don't think it's there. Yeah, anymore. I just want to make one point. I mean, I think on the forward basis, the S&P's trading at like six, 16 times or so. Not, not crazy by any means. So I don't think, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think that the uh, forward P.E. on the S&P is going to be the thing that takes it down. I did say the S&P acts terrible. I think it's really important to remember, the S&P is unchanged on the year. You know, we're four months into it. So we've had a lot of ability. Of uh, volatility. That's not disastrous by all intents and purposes, especially when you think about the gains that we've had over the last few years on a very low ball. That's basis. true. And, and, and I, Mel, I think your point is that two years ago, or call it late 2015, we were looking at a market that had no earnings, right? Yeah. Or, or the massage earnings, but they certainly had no top line. And we were very concerned. And we said, wow, this market's expensive. How can it be trading here? The reason it was trading there is because the 10 years at 136 at a low, that you had no volatility. That's a different equity environment. Equities can trade at 14 times forward on the S&P and don't have to be so cheap that you have to buy them here. So we need this kind of caliber of earnings report because this has been a pretty good earnings season so far, right? I mean, this caliber of earnings reports in order to sustain multiples with a 3% 10-year yield. 
Do, is, that, is that is that the is that the scenario Look, that we're in? I think I think it's I think the earnings here are fantastic, and I think you know it does ultimately come back to fundamentals. And folks, when it gets really dicey out there, you want to know the fundamentals of your company. You want to know the valuation it trades at, and you can hang in there through uh, market dynamics, which include a Fed. A lot of companies do very well in a rising interest rate environment, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I, so, th I think you, I, you know. to your point. That the answer to that question for me is yes, with everything else that you could have stacked on to this of the reason why the market should have been sold off, it seems as though that scenario is the only scenario in which this one bounced off that 200-day multiple times right around that level, and we're still 2 3% higher than that 200-day. That's shocking to me with the world going against but you. But why are you testing hand. it, Steve? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think necessarily that we're not going to break down. Right. What I look at, though, is that it's extremely healthy when you look at the S&P, that it bounced. You just said it before. The technicals are driving the market. It bounced exactly where a technician would think this market should bounce. And what's happening is you're getting that downtrend is slowly compressing, and it's, it's fighting and losing every time. But right. Well, as busy enough. as this week was in terms of earnings, we got a slew of earnings from McDonald's to Apple to Tesla, CBS. What names will be the big winners next week? What could lift us out of these doldrums, Guy? I don't know if Tesla's going to lift us out of the doldrums, but I will say that, once again, Tesla seems to have fought off that 280 level a couple times now, traded back through. It's trading 294 now. Reports on May 2nd. Tesla's not going to drive the NASDAQ or the Dow by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're looking something to trade against, I think Tesla and their earnings is as interesting as it gets. To be fair, nothing can. Amazon couldn't drive well, the NASDAQ. You know what? There you go. Intel. Intel couldn't either. Well, I mean, to that point, I would just say if you're looking at Apple, the largest multi, uh, market cap stock in the world, um, to do it, it's not going to do it either because what we just saw on Amazon. I mean, you could see because sentiment's so poor and because Apple's traded so poorly over the last week and a half, you could see this stock bounce even on bad news, and it's not going to make much of an impact in the market if the tone is not right. I think there's nothing that's going to have a change in the market bigger than what we've seen because we had all large cap tech this week. But I think it'll be interesting just to hear from McDonald's or T-Mobile where you see T-Mobile's talking to Sprint again. So just for clarification and just the space, I think those two names are probably interesting. They might have a deal on Monday. Yeah, I, I almost like, you know, let me go to midweek where we have Estee Lauder and MasterCard and real consumption plays. And I, and I think, you know, on some level, we really need to get reminded of where this consumer is in terms of both, you know, their job security, their consumption patterns, and actually discretionary has been working. So, uh, you know, I think that stuff's more interesting on some level to, to really get people back to their roots on what's going on in the economy. Coming up, the Bitcoin boom is on as it looks to be getting its wings in April of 30 percent. The chartmaster says the cryptocurrency is flashing a buy sign. He will join us next to explain why he is so excited. Plus, it's a battle for the ages and for the box office. Disney's Infinity War already invading theaters, making a whopping $39 million at its, last premiere, at its premiere last night. We'll tell you just how big this movie could be and what it means for the stock. And later, Tesla is stalling, stuck in a bear market, down more than 20% from its highs. And options traders see a huge move on earnings. We'll tell you just how big. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. When did time start? Do we have free will? And is the 30% surge in Bitcoin in April for real? Well, we've got a Bitcoin Jeez. alert with the chart master, Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro, who's got the answer to one of those questions. I wonder which one, Carter. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I have the answer, but let's try to see if we can figure out possibly the answer. Um, a lot of fun. Obviously, the most dynamic thing in all markets, and it's both uh, 
ruined people and made people great fortunes. But here is a chart for the past uh, four or five years. And I want to sort of zero in on this volatility now. But let's put in the trend lines, put in the percentage declines, and so forth. So what we have here, again, is every drawdown of import over the past um, three, four years. And you, and you see the numbers. I mean, down 36, down 41, 21, down 38. And, and this one's the most extreme, down 70. But if you go back, we had two declines that were in the 90 percentile uh, category in, in 13, 14. But so now, if we put in the trend line, get rid of these percentage drawdowns, what we have is the following. A well-defined moment of big movement, meaning when you have lower highs and higher lows, it represents equilibrium. And there's a debate. Some love this thing, and some think it's, of course, the greatest fraud of all time. But this is going to get resolved violently. And if we triangulate a little more, let me just zero in to the, the here and now. This is the thing that's important. When it made its low on Feb 6, the market, of course, made its low on Feb 9th, we revisited that low and we held. And so now if I put the wedge back in in this tight formation, here we've actually, for the first time, and this is quite precise, right, we literally touched that line to the penny, to the penny, to the penny, again and again. I mean, right off the lines, it's all technical. And then for the first time, we've come out through the top. I think there's more to go. So if you had to be long or short, I want to be long here. Carter comes over. Wow. Come on over, Carter. Over. Ryan, Ryan will bring it to you. For OA, just sit there and just sit there. around. Like squat. Like There's squatter. Squatter. He's got a summer, his yeah, summer, summer coat on, summer too. Coat. Look at summer kind of linen game. Silky, maybe. Um, okay, so Carter, in your initial chart, you showed all of the drawdown. Does it matter that earlier in Bitcoin's history, the liquidity was so much smaller, the market cap was so much smaller sure. than what it I is mean, today? I mean, obviously, the, the, there's, it, the stakes are higher now, right? At one point, it was an unknown thing, and, and just sort of a few people playing. Now, it's considered an asset to some people, right? Other people think, again, it's just it's a fraud or a, a Ponzi scheme or, or nothing. But what we do know is that if it were really going to top here, we would be forming the other side of a shoulder. Typically, you get head and shoulders up. And that's not what that uh, pattern suggests. And the day-to-day -day strength in the face of market weakness is sort of interesting as well. So, Carter, when I look at the S&P, I could draw... Exact same wedge. Exactly. Sure. I could draw the same wedge. Right. And, and do you have to believe that the S&P is moving in the same direction with Bitcoin leading? It looks like... No. I, I, you know, it's funny. Are they both moving higher? No, no. I, I'm in the lower camp for equities. And, and just to huh. speak of that, let's take the big tech names. We've just heard from all of them, and we're nowhere near the highs in the Nasdaq 100. If your big players just put up points and you can't move the scoreboard, what's going to move the wow. Nasdaq 100? Nice metaphor. So basically, for all the people who say that Bitcoin is some sort of leading indicator for the markets or an indicator for the markets, do you think that's just I don't. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I suppose don't have any uh, really accurate way to respond to that, other than it seems like a stretch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, to, talk to us about past bubbles, if you will, and, and how bubbles have behaved. Like, if you take a look at the Internet bubble, where would we be if this were a bubble? Oh, sure. Well, if you were to look or at sort of... Or dead cat bounces. Right. Right, I mean, yeah. In terms of the run-up, the, the run-up from the low in NASDAQ to the high is, is multiple folds over what the NASDAQ was the, or the Japanese market at the height of its thing. So this is unprecedented, right? You can look at any other asset. There is maybe the tulip bulb, but that data is pretty unclear. You know, people say, well, I have it right here in my file. Really? You have all the tulip bulb data? So uh, the, the, the issue is this. This is a sort of uncharted territory, right? And then uh, I would just say that it's, it's acting well where you would suspect that it wouldn't. Can you um, also do technical analysis, and if you can, is it similar to what you found for Bitcoin for other 
uh, current cryptocurrencies out there like an Ethereum, or oh, sure. is the data too sparse still? No, it's the same. They're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're identical. I mean, for the most part, yes. So all of them look like they're poised to break to the upside. I mean, but this is the one that, that's going to matter. Hey, so, Carter, you know, the sell-off from the highs down to the February low is about 70%. It was on massive volume. So then you had this 100% bounce. But then we went back and we did that test we like you just it, mentioned. Held it. In some ways, couldn't you make the argument, although we're above that downtrend from December, that the, this bounce is actually not that vibrant? And You know what I mean? Like, it's right. just, it doesn't have a lot so of momentum, it doesn't what, feel what like. What gives you the, the, the dynamics of a bounce is determined by the preceding sell-off. So if you think about it, you get the first violent sell-off. And then you get a fairly reciprocal bounce. But when you do a revisit of the low, because you come from a lower level, you don't have as much of a bounce. Momentum. I mean, it's almost, yeah, sort of the way momentum or a ball. Yeah. Drop All a right. ball from a lower level, doesn't bounce as much as it does from a higher level. I never took physics. <laughs> it shows. Stop. No, okay. <laughs> you set yourself up for that. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. When, you're, when your best players put points on the board and yet the score doesn't. I mean, that, that's a great metaphor. Um, by is. the way, 9,000 9, on Bitcoin is a very important level. We talked about this. The 200 days kind of held with 100 crossing. It is a powerful intersection. Still ahead, Tesla stuck in a bear market. And you won't believe how big a move options traders see it having when it reports next week. We'll break it down for you. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The Force will be with you. Who needs the Force when you have an army of superheroes? But can the Avengers lift Disney stock? We'll explain. Plus, up, down, or nowhere at all. We've got a way to make money on Apple earnings. And we'll show you how when Fast Money returns. Breaking news out of Washington. Let's get to Kayla Tausche in D.C. with more. Kayla. Hey, Melissa, I've learned the May 1st deadline for steel and aluminum tariff exemptions for U.S. allies is likely to be extended. That is according to six sources who have discussed this issue with the administration. The extensions may vary in length for each country based on the progress made in talks on this and other trade issues. For instance, Canada and Mexico could be granted an extension because they've made progress on steel and aluminum issues in NAFTA talks, which resume late next week. It's unclear where talks with Australia, Argentina and Brazil stand at this moment. South Korea's exemption from tariffs is permanent because it agreed to quotas as part of a new trade deal. Administration officials, I'm told, have asked other countries what level of quotas they'd agree to. And one person briefed by the administration told CNBC, quote, quotas are an active part of the discussion with every country on the exemption list. The U.S. Trade Representative is leading the process for country exemptions except for the European Union, which Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross is leading. The Department of Commerce is also spearheading the process for product exemptions, and the National Security Council is overseeing the entire process. The May 1st date on which the tariff exemption were set to expire, that was laid out in a presidential memorandum, and an extension of that date would have to be granted in the same way, which means the fi final decision on granting an extension remains President Trump's, and we will see whether he makes that final decision. USTR declined to comment. The White House and the National Security Council did not respond to requests for comment. Neither did the Commerce Department. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. A lot of companies will be hanging on, on every single move uh, that comes out. We saw the impact of tariffs on U.S. Steel yesterday in their commentary. The, the stock oh, got smacked. I mean, first of all, you know, if you kind of were asleep at the switch and you woke up and you saw that news about uh, the, the steel tariffs coming on, you're like, oh, well, let me at least buy it today. You're down 35% from this great news point for U.S. Steel. Why? Because they, like other folks throughout the industry uh, and even people that are buying steel products, have said, we are very concerned on the impact on demand. So if you look at what happened with steel tariffs under the Bush regime, this is exactly what happened. It's happening a lot faster here. 
Having said that, I think this is overdone. Their guidance was weak, uh, but steel prices are going to hold here. Um, and by the way, they're not playing off of tariff prices yet. All right, shifting gears here, it's shaping up to be another blockbuster weekend for Disney, invading the box office with its Avengers franchise. Let's go to Julia Borson in Los Angeles for the details. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Disney says that Avengers Infinity War is on track to bring in about $225 million in ticket sales in the U.S. opening weekend. That would give Marvel the second biggest opening weekend of all time after only Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, the film has already packed theaters. Disney tells us it expects to bring in between $95 and $100 million at the U.S. box office by tonight. Now, that includes $30 million in Thursday previews. That's the fourth biggest Thursday preview night ever. And internationally, the film has brought in $95 million in its first two days, and it hasn't yet even opened in two big markets, China and Russia. Now, the promise of the biggest superhero movie of all time, of course, is good news for Disney, which spent a reported $300 million to make the film. The movie is the culmination of 18 Marvel films over a decade, from Iron Man in 2008 through Black Panther earlier this year, Together, those movies have grossed nearly $15 billion worldwide. Now, other studios did release six of those 18 films, but Disney is, of course, cashing in on all of those characters and its $4 billion purchase of Marvel, which it made back in 2009. It's paid off many times over. Now, to compare that to Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm in 2011, the three Star Wars movies Disney has released since then have grossed $4.5 billion worldwide. Now, after last year, the U.S. box office declined nearly 3%. Analysts are hopeful that Infinity War's star power and positive reviews will get consumers back into the movie-going groove and get them willing to pay up for tickets throughout the summer. And now, summer starts, summer movie season, Melissa, pretty much starts now. Wow. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. So Disney stock is down 8% this year, Guy. It looks like it, I mean, it looks like it's very well positioned when you take a look at its movie slate. Well, well positioned as a business, I agree. Has the stock been particularly good? No. Not at all. But the last couple of quarters, you can take solace in this. They report on May 8th, which is a week or so away. The stock has been weak. The last couple of quarters, though, it's had a significant rally after they report. How would I trade it? I think there's a chance it prints 96 Take a shot in earnings against that level. This is the first time the king of content doesn't matter in the stock price. You look at Netflix up 62%, Disney down, as you said, 8%. I still think that uh, there's rough seas ahead for Disney. All right. Well, that does it for us here on Fast. Catch you back here Monday at 5. Don't go anywhere. Options action starts right after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.